This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. More than likely, you've come across your favorite YouTuber dropping their favorite line. This episode is sponsored by Insert Name Here. And while that tag might be an annoying sidetrack to the content you came for, there is something bigger at play with that message than what you see and hear on the surface, especially to the marketers who set up that sponsorship. The feel of your brand coming out of the mouth of somebody who has a respected audience is valuable. It's better than it just appearing on a no-name, non-editorial text or piece of content. It's better. It attaches them more. So that's the foundation. That's the underlying principle. The potential reward is dramatically outsized. When you have a hit, you hit big. That's Daniel Kahn, the CRO and co-founder of Thought Leaders. Daniel joined this episode of Marketing Trends to discuss why marketers are suddenly starting to look at sponsorship opportunities as a separate and valuable channel. And he breaks down why the right partnership, paired with the right voice, can have endless opportunities for your brand. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest, Dan. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Excited to have you on the show. Excited, as always, to talk about marketing. Um, And we're going to get into your background. We're going to get into Thought Leaders, your company that you co-founded and that you're CRO of and uh, and everything in between. So how did you get started in marketing? Um, So I've been in and around marketing technologies for... Oh, just over 10 years now. So from my side, I've been in the revenue organizations of companies like Clicktail, um, which was a user experience tool, heat maps, tracking. I'm sure many of the, the audience will have heard of it. And then after that, I was uh, doing uh, partnerships, global partnerships at SimilarWeb, which of course is uh, the third party uh, data set that many marketers are relying on uh, to track the web. Um, competitive intelligence. So that was my background in in this world before starting Thought Leaders back in 2017. So I've always been on the technology side. Yeah. And so for our listeners who don't know, tell us about Thought Leaders. Sure. So uh, Thought Leaders is a sponsorship intelligence company. Um, what that means is that like any industry, as it grows, there is a requirement for uh, both quality first-party and third-party data. Now, first-party data comes from great marketers plowing the, the way and getting great experiences. And in this case, it's doing sponsorship. So you can say thanks to Audible and Skillshare and guys like this who've been doing it a long time. But the third-party data is harder to pull off. It's understanding the wider marketplace so with Thought Leaders as a company, we are providing brands, marketers, but also the uh, content producers with the data sets that's underpinning their industry. So who's talking about what, what content is being produced, who is sponsoring, how long have they been sponsoring for, basically providing that insight that is really quite hard to come by. And that's enabling them to make really good marketing decisions. Yeah, obviously, we love sponsorships. Here on Marketing Trends, we talk about it all the time. We are extremely huge fans of content and spark sponsorships and and think, you know, truly some of the best marketing in the world is, is done that way. Conversely, some of the worst marketing in the world is also done that way. And uh, <laughs> because you just sometimes uh, completely swing and miss. So I guess, you know, to, to take a step back, like, what is the size of the sponsorship industry? So this is, it's really been spiking, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious to people um, in this, in marketing or in content, the amount of content that's been produced over the last few years, the number of podcasts, if you're looking from a business sense, the amount of acquisitions of 
media companies that are producing content that is geared towards sponsorship. Um, but the actual number of sponsorships is just, you know, ballooning. You sort of 2018, which is you know, really not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. At Thought Leaders, we're tracking just around 70,000 pieces of sponsored content. So you're talking about individual YouTube videos, podcast episodes, uh, newsletter sends that were, that were run in 2018, so around 70,000. And you fast forward to 2020, just to give you a picture there. And this is, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, right? So you expect that, and there was a minor slowdown in Q2 before it bounced back in Q3. Over 130,000 pieces of sponsored content. So you're talking about a space that has doubled in two years while surviving through a really disrupted business environment. And I think what's happening is basically the, the number of brands that are sponsoring, it's just following that curve. So you see that brands are looking at the content. They're seeing that others have done it. And what's more important is that they've done it for years now. If you're starting sponsorship, let's say in 2017, there wasn't years of people sponsoring on mass to look back on and go, you know what, that's proven, right? They've, it just hadn't happened yet. But as we move into 2021, we've already got some brands who've just been doing this for years now. So that's forced a conversation for a lot of brands. If you are in marketing meetings, if you're in strategic planning sessions as marketers, Sponsorship is now a topic that's on the table. People are looking at it as a legitimate channel that's an important part of their media mix. And as they're doing that, they're looking around for ways to make that whole thing more predictable, right? You've had keyword tools for years that help you decide what to do. There's been tools like Google Trends or on the very basic level, all companies like SimilarWeb that can help you what to tell you what to do um, in a variety of different channels, lots of marketing solutions. But for sponsorship, it's kind of been the Wild West for a good number of years because there simply wasn't enough data. Well, that's changed. That's, that's different now. So you're talking about uh, anal- being, you know, from last year, as I mentioned, being able to analyze 130,000 individual pieces of sponsored content. That's a lot of brands that are featuring on there. That's a lot of different creators. That's a lot of patterns that can start to emerge that you can benefit from. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. And we're gonna we're gonna dive super deep into uh, to sponsored content here and some examples and things like that for listeners. You can go to thoughtleaders.io and check out. They have a really cool leaderboard, like a brand's leaderboard, where you can see YouTube and podcast newsletters and things like that to see you know, what, what type of brands are, are doing these type of sponsorships. And, you know, one of the things that I just find so fascinating, and I know I listen to a lot of podcasts because I make a lot of podcasts and things like that. But if you go look at the leaderboards for podcasts and newsletters and YouTube, you can kind of, you know, see some of the trends in those uh, to see the different ways that know that the ways that that brands are advertising based off the different mediums. When I went through the ones in the podcast, I mean, I must have got like, you know, six, six pages deep into that. And I probably know 95% of the companies that sponsor. And it just goes to show you, not that this is, we're going to talk all about podcasts, but it just goes to show you how well sponsored content gives you brand recall and brand lift. Like there's so many of these companies that I'm like, I have you know, no idea what some of them do, but I know I've heard that name before. <laughs> and I know that, you know, um, and then some of them where you're like, oh, I know, I know exactly, you know, who those people are. And it's, it's really remarkable. And I wonder, obviously they have all sorts of campaigns that those, those companies are running, but like take an example, you know, out of thin air, just, you know, like number 88 on the podcast list here says Omaha Steaks. I've heard Omaha Steaks ads I don't know how many times, a handful of times in my life, but I never, I never would have even thought that that would be like a top hundred advertiser, you know, sponsor for, for podcasts. And yet, you know, there they sit and I'd be super curious to look at that sort of thing. I I just think, I think there's something so special and unique about sponsorships that it drives 
uh, and there's you know data that backs this up, but it drives brand recall, it drives engagement. It's just easier to remember because it's someone you know telling it to you or you seeing it. You know what are you seeing in terms of the the companies that are that are leveraging sponsorships? Like, does this stuff work? Definitely. I mean, the easiest way to see if something is working, and obviously we have trend graphs here at Thought Leaders, is to look at the way that graph is going. And you have companies, as, as I've said, that are have been doing this for years now, and their graph keeps on going up year on year. The number of sponsorships that they're doing year on year is growing. So they're definitely getting reward from it. Then you've got a question, okay, well, what is the reward? Now, what are they measuring this by? Maybe these are companies with just unlimited budgets and they don't care what happens to it and they've got to spend it somewhere. It's not really the case. Granted, there are some companies that only care about brand awareness and they are pushing it that way. The vast majority of companies that we speak to at Thought Leaders want an ROI and they measure it that way. Whether it's podcast, whether it's YouTube, whether it's newsletter, they're counting the pennies at the end of the day. And so when you factor that in, you're saying, well, actually, this is not just a question of amazing brand recall, which is a really important part, don't get me wrong. But this is something that they're able to track over multi-year and decide, you know, this is impacting the bottom line of the business. Uh, This is driving business. And some brands are super aggressive in terms of what they want or expect out of their sponsorship channel. So then you're looking at it, and if you're trying to break it down, you're saying, well, what is it that's happening here? Like, what's actually happening with sponsorship that, that might be working so well? And I would say there's, there's three principal things. First of all, there's the whole brand element, right? Sure. And I think that ties up with what we've come to look at in marketing as authenticity. The feel of your brand coming out of the mouth of somebody who has a respected audience is valuable. It's better than it just appearing on a no, no name, non-editorial text or piece of content. It, it's better. It attaches them more. So that's the foundation, right? That's un- the underlying principle of why it works is because people have an audience, people have fans, and those fans listen to what the content creators say. That's the underlying principle. The second aspect of it is that the potential reward is dramatically outsized. And this is not, I think, what a lot of people recognize when they go into it, but what they soon realize as they start doing a lot of sponsorship marketing campaigns. When you have a hit, you hit big, right? So take, for example, NordVPN did a video with a YouTuber called Mark Rober. And... This video uh, was about glitter bombs, right? Not the most sophisticated thing in the world, sure, but thoroughly entertaining and a lot of people watched it and a lot of people like Mark Rober. Now, his average videos, in general on the channel, I think something in the region of 10 million average views, which is amazing anyway. That's a really great uh, set of impressions to get. But on that particular video that NordVPN sponsored, they got 80 million views. They didn't pay for 80 million impressions. That's not how you pay for sponsorships. It's a fixed price. Yeah. So at the end of the day, they're getting eight times the exposure that they paid for. There's basically nothing else that can do that. You can't do that if you're buying off CPM. You certainly can't do it if you're, you're paying for affiliate or CPC, any other marketing channel. You, you pay for what you get in many ways, but you can't radically outperform what you pay for. But as long as you can, you really can. And so the, the potential for outside reward is an enormous carrot for marketers. And then the final thing, and this might seem counterintuitive because of what I've just said, but there is long-term predictability. And this comes into the, the conversation about, well, what's the most important thing to look for when you do start investing in sponsorships? How do you set up your program? What KPIs are you going to look at? Sure, you're going to look at ROI. Of course you are. You're a marketer right? You can measure uh, what the price of the media is you're paying for. And you say, okay, well, I'll only pay this price. All important stuff, sure. But the most important thing that, that brands should be looking at when investing in sponsorships is their success rate. Now, it might sound obvious that this is a thing that you should look at, but actually very few people have this as a KPI. And yet it's absolutely crucial. 
So, for example, we did a study of uh, a, a number of the, the brands that sponsor the most. And this crazy, remarkable pattern emerges, which kind of goes a long way to explain why people have sustained these long sponsorship programs over a long period of time. And uh, a lot of it is in the success rate. So most brands fail in most of their tests. Every time I'm, and by test, I mean, I'm trying a new podcast, I'm trying a new YouTube channel, I'm trying a new newsletter. It's a test. Most brands fail in most of their tests. And when I mean fail, it means that they observably are not choosing to reinvest in that channel. And that's what the, our thought leaders, their data, that's what we really focus on is repetition as a determinant of success. And most brands fail in most of the tests. You know, on average, we're talking maybe about 40% success rate. But of those 40% of channels that they are successful in, those channels are generating 90% of all the views of the program. Why? Because when you work with the channel and it works for you, you're not doing one video, you're doing five, you're doing 10. You repeat there over 12 months, 18 months, two years, three years. There are uh, brands that have been with creators for years, years and years, tens in some cases, and up to 100 episodes, depending on the, on the case. So when you get your success rate improved, if I'm hitting four out of 10, I'm getting to five out of 10, I'm not just getting one successful extra video or extra podcast channel, uh, podcast episode. I'm getting many multiples of that. And what that does is it diminishes my risk over time. So, for example, we worked out that, um, that Raycon, who is this, obviously this headphone brand, appeared out of nowhere a couple of years ago and then has been everywhere. I'm sure you've all heard of sponsorship that they've been on. If they improved their success rate by 10%, they would have generated approximately 300 million additional successful YouTube impressions. Successful YouTube impressions. Wow. That's, that is a lot of money. Now, assuming they're paying a $10 CPM, we're talking about $3 million of predictable working spend additional, right? So that's basically saying I have another block of $3 million that I know is going to work for me. That's gold for a marketer. Right. If I can allocate $3 million and pretty much guarantee that that's going to work, that's huge. And the kicker there is that's without increasing the test budget. So you're not increasing the initial risk because you're, you're trying 10 channels. But if you do five of them successfully instead of four, you get this, this amplification effect that runs through your program for, for years to come. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I, uh, I want to unpack a little bit what you were talking about in terms of the investment strategy here. And we've talked about it on the show in the past about how the best CMOs look at their portfolio of, you know, their budget in terms of investments, right? And some investments are meant to be, you know, if you're to put it like stocks, you know, you put it in the S&P 500 or you put it in uh, something safe that you know you're going to get, you know, return over time. And other investments, you want them, want them to be inherently much more volatile. And I think that one of the problems that some marketers have is that, uh, to your point, if the vast majority of their their marketing dollars are in things that don't have upside, then it's hard to, you know, you can't hit a home run, right? Because okay, well, this campaign did really well, but it's still within the parameters of like kind of the old model, right? Where it's like, oh, this is uh, this campaign did really well in terms of you know it it reached this many people and this many people liked it and this many people took action and that's great. But with sponsorship and with content and with the scalability, it's like you can actually build the reach of it to something that's far beyond. Um, something that you could have just paid to access. And I think that trying to figure out those strategic investments to say, okay, if we're going to do a sponsorship with you know this thing and it blows up and it gets 18 million views, like you said, 
that's all gravy. Like that's all upside. That's not like, you know, we're not going to set out and say, Hey, we want to create a, you know, something viral or, or maybe you do set out and say, Hey, we want to try to create something viral and maybe it doesn't work. And you try to create 10 viral things, you know, with, um, with a partner, uh, you know, nine of those don't work or maybe all of them don't work. Uh, and you have to go back to the drawing board. But when you do have the opportunity to at least have something that gets exponentially more results, like that is really, really valuable to have in your in your investment portfolio. And so, you know, sponsorship is one of those things. And like Google AdWords is not that, right? Facebook ads are not that, you know, out of home is not that. TV ads are not that. They're just not set up to be that way. So it kind of feels like every marketer should have some type of sponsorship or content or a, a mix of the two things, potentially separate. How do you view sponsored content versus making things in-house? You know, the, the kind of uh, content marketing versus uh, sponsorship, the builder by conversation. What do you see companies do uh, in terms of like, you know, weighing those options? I mean, do both if you can. The conversation there is about resource, right? So I think marketers can and often are amazing storytellers. Like that's, that's I mean, that's the fantasy of marketing, isn't it? To, to sell, uh, to be able to tell stories. <laughs> I like how like you said the fantasy of marketing. That's right. Yeah. It's probably sometimes a little bit, a little bit of fantasy. <laughs> it is. That's the dreamy imagination view of, of marketing. That's the, the glory side of it. That's the, the Ken Leon side of marketing, of, of wanting to tell this amazing, beautiful story. And you can absolutely do that and produce your own content. And many brands do and do it successfully. And that's a great thing to do. This is a slightly different thing, but related. First of all, you can, um, with sponsorship, what you're kind of doing is you're outsourcing the production of this content, right? So if you have somebody who can talk 90% of the way adequately about your products compared to what you would, and they've taken off them the burden of production, and guess what? They've got a ready-made audience already. Then if you're the story that you're telling is a story that can fit into you know, a minute integration, right? Then you can probably outsource that. What becomes what you're left with as a brand then is, I guess, the most sophisticated, harder to produce, longer vision storytelling elements that you are most likely going to produce in-house or are going to be doing some kind of really deep collaboration with a, with a creator, right? Something where you've, you've genuinely part and partnered with them and it's not in the same vein of what most people consider uh, sponsorship to be. So I say they both absolutely have a place. Like one is really telling the story of, of a brand. And I think that for many brands, that's really important to them and can definitely have a huge impact. But uh, with sponsorship, you can outsource that en masse and engage en masse. So they're both two very important tools. Yeah. So I think that it's just not an either or situation anymore. And I think back in the day, it might've been that way, but I, I just don't, I don't think that if your team in-house wants to create amazing stuff, it shouldn't be, do we do that or sponsored content, right? It should be both. And um, those two types of vehicles can have massive results. And, and maybe you would just spend from things that are a little bit more static or a little bit, you know, less engaging. You know, one of the things that you know, your company's mission is all about is to incentivize high quality long form content. You know, part of the part of the piece that I think you and I share share a mind on on this is like the creators that are out there doing amazing things that they have from the art side of things an ability to connect with people in a way that your brand and your marketing team will not be able to replicate. Like that's what's exciting about it, right? Is like the way that they connect with their audiences and doing long form, doing things that are really cool. Like you, you can't replicate that. And that's why you go with sponsorship, right? It's like, you know, that's why you, you know, you take, you know, any, any top podcast 
that's out there or any top YouTube channel or, or whatever it is, you can't replicate that, right? You can build something that is similar or tangential or feeds the audience in a different way, but you're not get, you cannot replicate it. And that's kind of how I think about those build or buy scenarios where you're like, can this person do the thing better than we do they have a unique vision? Do they have a unique way of looking at things? Do they do this stuff in a way that our team couldn't possibly think about? And that's how I like to think about those things. Like, do they have a connection with the audience that's deeper? Do they have, you know, a method of delivery or or whatever it is? Or are they just straight up better suited for that? And then conversely, like, what is your team better suited at? What story can you all tell that is more organic? Because at the end of the day, like, you know, uh, even the best, you know, brands in the world, a lot of them, you know, are trying to create things, but, you know, it is going to feel like home cooking at some point. (laughs) And some people are turned off by that. Not always, but some people are turned off by that. And that's where you need someone else to, uh, to help carry uh, carry water for you, you could you can't certainly can't phone it in as a brand. It's got to be really good. Like there are brands that build great communities with their content. Sure, definitely. There's also brands that can produce this level of content that has this wow factor. But it's got to be really good. In the main, what you're saying is absolutely right. Most content creators. It's, it's better to work with content creators in the main than try and do it in-house. Why? What was that first point we talked about? is authenticity. They have earned the right to work with, uh, to have these communities by producing quality over a long period of time. And that's, that's you know, really the essence of our mission, as we said, which is to incentivize high-quality, long-form content. And we're in a really pr- pr- privileged position in this industry you as a podcaster are in a really privileged position. You've earned it, but you're in a privileged position where you can look at your content creation and be quality oriented. Think about what the internet or think about what digital was like even five years ago. Think about how many clickbait articles you used to click through on a day-to-day basis because the financial reward around content was designed to generate clicks. Now, this whole movement has gone away from content creators. Content creators are focusing on quality. And with quality comes authenticity. And with sponsorship, the ad revenue incentivizes quality. You're going to get better results with people that produce quality content. So the whole ecosystem around marketing and around sponsorship is geared around that word, is geared around quality, is geared around authenticity which is why it's so hard for a brand to replicate that magic. A brand can produce pretty rubbish content that is clickbaity and get clicks. No different from a content creator or a click farm can do. You know, anybody can do that. But you can't create that authenticity. You can't create that bond with audience easily. It's only through time. It's only through application. It's only through steadily producing really good quality content week in, week out for years. And you as a brand get to access that by handing over some talking points. That's, that's really powerful and really simplistic for brand to activate. Yeah. One of the things that I think um, companies miss a lot when they're trying to figure this stuff out is like one of the, the framings that I often use when I'm talking to companies is like, imagine if you were to create like the show 60 Minutes Mm -hmm. or to create, you know, Real Housewives or create, you know, whatever it is, your favorite TV show, Game of Thrones. Not to say that like it's the exact same thing. It's a one-to-one, but the same like structure that goes into building a show over time is the same thing that goes into like any, uh, whether it's a YouTube channel or whether it's a, um, whether it's a podcast or a newsletter or whatever it is, all of that same stuff goes into it, right? The thought around, you know, what is the structure of the show? You know, what is the way that it's delivered to the audience? How is it done? You know, all those sort of things. Now, what we have right now is we have, you know, tons and tons and tons of amateur creators that are creating stuff that have their own style and flair and different sort of things that, you know, produce 
you know, in, in a various different ways. But what really you see at the top of the podcast charts, like if you or the or the YouTube, you know, charts or things like that, you have pretty much, you know, highly professional teams at this point that are creating these these things. Or on the other end, you have like super amateur things, right? And so, you know, as a, a media buyer, as a strategist, I think that there's just a lot of, you know, overwhelming volume at play to say, how do I figure this out? Like, what what should I be doing? What are the right audiences for us? And I I kind of, I joke and I always say that, you know, that things like podcasts and stuff like that are, are uh, they're like, uh, you know, nose problems or uh, tooth problems or back problems. It's like, oh, hey, you sleep every night. I'm going to sell you a mattress. Like, oh, you have teeth. I'm going to sell you a toothbrush. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like it, it quite literally doesn't get any more targeting than that in a lot of cases, right? So almost all of the top charts, with some exceptions for like businesses and things like that, are things that just like, if you if you were to boil it down, is like their ideal customer profile is like someone with teeth, you know, or <laughs> or someone who sleeps, um, and things like that. And 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 it's because it's really hard. Like if you want to advertise on the biggest podcasts, you know, to get the most reach to do that stuff, and there's still you know limited targeting, you know, there's only so many options. If you want to compile together that same amount of volume with a bunch of, you know, amateur people who have consistent podcasts or, or, or channels or things like that, you know, you're like, oh, am I going to go set up 75 partnerships with all these people? I'll just spend my whole year setting up partnerships. So kind of, can you just share like, what are some best practices on how the, you know, the best sponsors are thinking about making smarter decisions around sponsorship, selecting uh, the right partners to work with. Obviously, you know, there's platforms like like yours that that help you buy smarter. Um, and you can, you know, speak to that as well. But I'm just curious, like, what are some best practices here? Well, it's a great question. I think that, first of all, you're talking about brands that are, who's doing it well, right? And the only way that they can make their own choices is either they have really great first party data because they've been doing it for a while or the person that they brought in to start their program is somebody that had really great first party data from another company that they worked at previously. Uh, that's how they're making decisions from experience, right? It, by and large. Alternatively, and, and this is where you know, we come in and some other companies can, can help with this, that, or it could be an agency, you could have somebody, you can buy experience, you can, you can outsource experience in this space. The way that we outsource the experience is with, is with data. And once you have that extra data, you want to be looking at what has worked for companies that I can compare myself to. That could be a similarity of the product. That could be similarity of the audience, the kind of audience they're going after. Now you described people with teeth or people that sleep. Those are obviously very broad notions of the consumer, but it could be viable ones. You know, it could equally be that actually I only want a segment of that. I want people that are interested in cooking. There's still a lot of people, but there's only a segment of that group. Or people that are interested in running, which is still a lot of people, but only a segment of that group. So I can look at brands that are maybe predominantly focused in a given area and go after them, right? So if I'm uh, looking at where, let's say, uh, Raycon is sponsoring, which is a brand we talked about before, that's going to probably look a little bit different than, let's say, where stamps.com is sponsoring. Slightly different profiles, slightly different things that they, that they care about. If I um, Corsair, which makes gaming headsets, right? You're going to find me in gaming channels. You're going to find me in that area. So if I'm an up-and-coming game or if I am a, a piece of electronics equipment that I think is going to appeal to gamers or if I am a healthy ramen noodle, and this is a real company, Vita Ramen, I believe it's called, that is targeting gamers who are eating ramen whilst they're playing games because that's, so that's a really big overlap. And I can look at a company that has had great success targeting in gaming content and has leveraged it over a long period of time, and I can learn a lot of lessons from it. The second thing that I can do is to really find creators and really a small pool of creators at times that really talk about the thing that matters to me. So we, we work with a company that is a really popular coupon app 
predominantly based in the United States, well up there in the charts and have grown exponentially for, for the past few years. When we started with them, um, or when we helped start helping them in their journey, they were super skeptical about the potential that sponsorship could bring them. And they're saying, there's no way that I'm going to get my five or $6 to sign up that I can get with my limited Facebook campaigns that I'm doing at the moment or wherever it is. They were small at the time. And what we were able to do is to do two things. We were able to put these things together. We were able to identify YouTubers that talked about couponing in their content that literally spent video after video talking about how they got uh, savings when they did the grocery shopping. That was what they cared about. That's what their audience cared about. And we were able to also overlap that with sponsorship data. Well, here's brands that are also interested in that cohort that have got a proven track record of a relationship with these creators. So you can add those two data sets together and you're operating in a really risk-reduced environment. And the initial investment that we did with them is actually comparatively minuscule, really, if you're thinking if you're, a couple of videos. And from that seed, from the results they saw about, they were blown away. We were talking about what they were in their wildest dreams, hoping for $5, or getting $2 uh, per app sign up from it. Why? Because it was like, it was precise. And they were able to scale the program from there. And now they're really busy getting lots of signups every month, spending a lot of money and getting great return and have been doing it for years. So there are ways to really mitigate your risk right from the beginning by following the breadcrumbs, looking at who's done the thing that you might want to do before you. Because as we've said, right, if we come back to this whole equation, this, this KPI of success rate, you don't need much to go right for you. If you're doing 10 tests, if you're doing 20 tests, right? If you can get even five of those initial tests, let's say you're not using thought leaders, but because we will get better than that. But if you get five, ten, five of your initial 20 are successful, 25%. But those five, knock it out of the park. Your initial spend might not look amazing from an ROI perspective because it's only five and 15. But as I said, you're going to repeat those five. So with every iteration of budget, with every allocation, your risk gets reduced over time. But if you can use data, if you can be smart about it, if you can really look and pull through the information that's available to you, and it is, there is a third-party data set. We have it, we sell it, you can use it to make better choices right from the beginning, then you can have a situation where you're doing better than 50%. You can do 60%, 70% success rate right from the beginning. And if you're doing that right from the beginning, then you're setting up this amazing foundation. Bearing in mind, as I said, these are some of these brands that have been sponsoring for years successfully that care about ROI have failed with most of their tests and continue to fail with most of their tests. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. And, you know, like what's so funny is, you know, to go back to like the leaderboards to look at podcasts, for example. Mm -hmm. You look at the top ones, uh, I'm just going to read them off here. So top brands in, in the podcast leaderboard on, on thoughtleaders.io, HelloFresh, BetterHelp, ZipRecruiter, Audible, Quip, Toothbrush, Simply Safe, Casper Away, Care of, Bombas, Stamps.com, Squarespace, Raycon. Like you're talking about, and these are companies that have been doing this. I mean, Stamps.com has been advertising on podcasts for over a decade. Like there's a reason why, you know, these folks you know, continue to do it. Are they that dialed in? Like, are they, do they have it down so cold in terms of how they leverage, you know, these things? Uh, to, to look at, I'll, I'll share YouTube really quick. Fortnite, Angry Birds, Crocs, Grand Theft Auto, NASCAR, Pizza Hut, Audible, Unison, Asus, World of Tanks, Best Friends, Yamaha, Netflix, Dollar Shave Club. Uh, so a little bit different profile, obviously much more gaming and and game centric because you can click over because you're you know going to be there. Mm -hmm. So you know very different group. And then well, I'll I'll do newsletters here too. So Simply Safe, Hulu, Goldman Sachs, Netflix, Uber Eats, Southwest Airlines, The Points Guy, Instacart, Postmates, Kroger, Sh Kroger, interesting, Shutterstock, Tiffany. You know, and and I'm sure if we just if we kept going on these, we'd you know see more and more and more brands that we know. But so. The question is like, do are these people just dialed in? Do they just have 
their stuff set up in a way that is superior to a lot of other you know, marketing organizations because they've been spending on these channels for years and years. Well, definitely. Well, as I said to you, the, the, there's only two ways you can make decisions, a, a first-party data or third-party data. And they have first-party data. You know, if you're talking about somebody like Audible or Skillshare or Squarespace or Stamps.com, you're talking about thousands of pieces of content over many years that they've, that they've been in. So they know what they want to pay, they know what content areas work for them. They have well-established relationships they can come back to time and time again. And yes, there's always certain risk involved because there's new tests. They're always trying new things. But the body of the program is bankable. You know, it's taken some time for them to establish that bankability of their marketing dollar. But the bulk of the views, impressions, downloads whatever you want to call it, and from the impression metric, depending on the format, that the majority um, that they're generating is stuff that they can rely on. So definitely, first part of experience is, is everything. Well, I think that, that the other piece of that is like, a lot of those folks are not just like leveraging ad networks or different things like that. They're actually set up setting up individualized sponsorships with individual, you know, creators. I know like we, like, I've talked to a bunch of those folks personally, or a bunch of the top advertisers for podcasts personally about different things. And I mean, they're, they're willing to like explore new ideas. Like we, I've, I've worked with Audible, we've worked with like a bunch of different, or Audible's agency, and they're willing to try to find, you know, new avenues and approaches. It's not just like a, you know, wave the wand, uh, you know, do programmatic ads sort of an approach. It is kind of like show by show, which I think is really fascinating. It's a, it's a really interesting thing, right? It's like they're not just saying, hey, we want volume of impressions. Like it goes down to the individual shows. And I just like, it's such a different approach than other types of advertising, right? Or other types of, of marketing um, because you're focusing in on particular shows. And it's and something that I talk about all the time that I'm really excited for the next chapter of this is like tangential audiences, right? Like I always say, you know, I listen to, you know, a handful of fantasy football podcasts. Uh-huh. I have never been served an ad for in a fantasy football podcast that I listen to that has not been for more fantasy football tools or, or gambling or, or sports betting. Never, ever, not once. <laughs> I've been listening for a decade, never once. And it's mind blowing, right? Because it's like, you know, I run a small business and I have, you know, all these attributes, but they don't know that. They don't know any of that stuff. So it just goes to like, when you talk about the third party data and the importance of that, like, I think that we're going to usher in a new kind of generation of sponsorship over the next 10 years that is trying to figure out who is listening. How can we better target them? How can we target tangential things, you know? It's going to be really different. And there's some of the best folks are doing that now with how they correlate one show to another or things like that or looking at demographics. But by and large, and I'm talking podcasts here, but it's the same thing for YouTube and it's the same thing for newsletters. Mm -hmm. By and large, I think there's a massive untapped potential there. Huge. Uh, That's one thing we really try and help brands understand is by looking at data is to understand how they can move from one category to another intelligently. So let's say that you were looking at a company like HelloFresh. You can learn from their experience that they've done really well in true crime podcasts, but they've also done really well in cooking shows on YouTube, right? Yeah. You suck at cooking. My favorite show did a bunch of, uh, yeah, yeah, they did a bunch of HelloFresh ads, sponsorship. So prime. So if I'm, if I'm somebody, if I'm a consumer brand that has been looking and has benefited from true crime podcasts, now it's a Venn diagram, right? So it's not, let's say that all brands that try true crime podcasts will work on YouTube cooking shows, but many of them will because there is enough of an overlap because they're trying to find the home consumer. For example, Simply Safe is killing it on true crime podcasts. Now, the home cooking shows, where do they take place? In the home. It's not the craziest segue to introduce Simply Safe as a home security system. It just isn't. It connects. 
So you can look at the data of what brands are doing, what they are doing, things that are already similar to you, and try and take that idea into new areas. And the beauty of content is that there are new areas coming up all the time. So obviously this year, anything home-related has been a boom, right? Home workout, home cooking, work from home, home organizations. If you look at the amount of content that has been created on these subjects in the last 12 months versus the previous 12 months, a hockey stick doesn't describe it. You're talking about a rocket. It's boom, it's gone crazy. And it takes a couple of months for brands to really, the, the quick ones to sort of corral themselves around this idea. Then you start seeing it picking up and brands uh, sort of following in. Another area, kind of similar and related, is skills. I think marketers are absolutely sleeping on um, creators that are focusing on skills, teaching piano, playing guitar, doing pottery, whatever it is. I mean, there's a reason why platforms like Skillshare or or Masterclass are absolutely booming. Um, It's because people want to learn. So people want to spend their, their time. There's a lot of creators, thousands of creators out there that their whole content is centered around teaching a skill. And these represent actually great investment for brands because the audience already has a self-improvement mindset. Like they're ready to go. They want to learn. So they're super engaged. And the second thing is by the nature of the content itself, because they're trying to learn something, they will watch or listen to the content over and over. They're not going to just listen to it once and then see you later. So they'll come back and back and back. And then I would say the a final, but there's, there's tons, but another one that really should be looked at that's really gone crazy in the last year is, is live content. So the phrase watch along, uh, obviously this is more YouTube specific, but the phrase watch along has, again, boomed in the last year as a type of content. And we're talking about watching sports games together. So it's like fan channels where you, yep. you know, let's watch the game whilst we talk about it. Yep. You're talking about um, TV show premieres. Let's watch it together and talk about it. Um, esports and gaming. Let's watch the event and talk about it. And these are super long, highly engaged streams with crazy active chats that are representing an amazing opportunity for, for a brand to really get under the skin and connect. Uh, and again, there's some brands that are doing this, some brands that are bridging that gap. But I think more and more we'll start to see the value of this in, in uh, 2021. Couldn't agree more. And we have our, uh, our sponsor segment here uh, to get to. Thanks again to our friends at Salesforce. Uh, we love them. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing. These are our lightning round questions, fast and easy, like marketing with Salesforce. Salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Dan, are you ready? Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, do you have a favorite book or podcast that you checked out in the past year? Yeah, I've been obsessed with the History of India podcast, which is going from 6th century BC right through um, to sort of on the borderline to modern times. Just super evocative, super not 2020 at all. So I was, I was well into that. Do you have either like a hobby or habit or something that you picked up in, in 2020 that you're going to keep going in 2021? Definitely. Um, I have been painting a lot, which I think you guys saw in the video at the beginning of the, uh, the stream. And uh, my personal goal is actually to exhibit at some point in 2021. Oh, awesome. That's great. If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? Painting. <laughs> that would be the dream. What is one question you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Can I buy a painting? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Where's your, where's, your art, where's your art at? We'll link it up in the show notes. Okay, perfect. Well, send, uh, I can send you the link through. Absolutely. Got an, got an e-shop and everything. Oh, perfect. There we go. Let's sell, let's sell some artwork. Marketing trends, marketing trends fans unite. Uh, let's let's uh, buy some painting for our good friend Dan here. Sounds good. Well, Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Everybody check out thoughtleaders.io. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Uh, come and have a chat with us. Obviously, I've talked a lot about data points today. I'm sure you've got a lot of questions that come from that. If you are thinking about investing in a creator anytime soon, come and ask us. We'll tell you if it's a good investment, if you should go for it. So that should be a good enough reason to to come and have a chat. Awesome. Thanks again, uh, Dan, and take care. 
Thank you. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.